And we are here for the November 2013 episode of Behind the DM Screen. Three DMs getting together once a month to talk about their games and helping each other out. That's it. We're ready to go. Mike, you're up. Go. My wife wife is a workaholic. She's doing work at 8.30 at night. Why are you working? Why am I working? Because I didn't finish. Oh. So I to get food. Oh. You're, you're, you're using your 15 minutes. Does this, that doesn't watch. count. Oh, that I doesn't started count. the timer. You are. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I finished my 13th age campaign. Uh, the party of adventurers was traveling through a living dungeon. The living dungeon had been formed from a rune giant, these massive titans that are etch runes of power on all over their bodies. They're kind of like made of stone. And they etch these runes and they ingest new knowledge by digesting small stones that have runes on them. And one of them ate a poisoned one and it forced him to dig his own grave and then die in the grave. And then he decomposed and became a living dungeon, sort of a parasitic, this strange parasitic entity. So the group traversed all various parts throughout him and then faced his heart, which was a beholder looking thing. And uh, they destroyed his heart. And then the bard in our group uh, saw that there was the parasitic gem was sitting up on the platform where the heart was, and he ingested it himself and became the new heart of the living dungeon. Oh, creepy. Like voluntarily? So yeah, he volunteered to do it. And it, it kind of became his mobile... So to what end? So he was a concert <laughs> guy. Well, so he, he loved to do, like, big rock concerts, and it became, cool. like, his mobile rock concert dungeon thing. So, like, a bunch of farmers would be hanging out in a field and suddenly this dungeon would pop out of the ground and turn into a big amphitheater and he would play for a little while and then he'd go back under the dungeon again. <laughs> that kind so of rocks, actually. It was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like uh, the God Emperor of Dune. Oh, you yeah. Know, Red God Emperor of Dune. Uh, only instead of a giant sandworm, he was a giant mobile rock concert. So I thought it went very well. I was pretty happy. Um, Michelle's review was that it was too weird. Because at one point <laughs> I, I made it, like all of the creatures in the dungeon were being made by the dungeon specifically to fight the party nah. and other adventurers were were popping out of the walls as well and and they had all memories of having been adventurers and having all these lives yet they could tell that they had just been born like eight seconds ago and then the party was there was kind of hints that maybe the party was also the same way and and they thought that was a little too weird mm. so at one point a guy found one of the, the group member one of the one of the pcs found a stream of his own memories like they had these this kind of brain room that sent these false images into people's brains of their previous lives and he found his own and he destroyed it thinking like either way if it turns out that that's controlling me then i'd rather be dead and if they destroy it and it's not controlling me then that means it never did and he destroyed it and it was still alive so anyway that was fun so now i'm pretty weird yeah, it was pretty weird, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, and and we had a good time. I love Thirteenth Age. If you couldn't tell from all of the various Thirteenth Age things I've been doing over the past few weeks, um, but now I'm playing D and D next, and I'm playing with um, Murder at Baldur's Gate is the adventure that I'm running, uh, which got rave reviews on the Tome Show uh, just a couple episodes ago. I think all three of you just love this adventure. Is that right? Am I? Uh, par- I never played it. I believe if I can can add a little shade of gray to to the review. Um, I believe the review was it is th- so, there, there, there are things to love and things to hate about it. Like it is on, on one hand, one of the most fantastic adventures they've, they've ever written. And on the other hand, one of the most horrible. 
Yeah, so I, I listened to your re- to your review while I was enjoying painting my Reaper miniatures because I have to get through my current set of Reaper minis before Reaper Two shows up. And uh, <laughs> next December, um, yeah. yeah, I've been hammering through. I have like my own sweatshop with just me. <laughs> so uh, you turn, so the, turn the heat up that. so you sweat appropriately. Yeah, right. I have a little space heater. Yeah. Um, and I was so I was listening to the review, and it was funny because I was planning on running it like the next week, and I listened. I'm like, wow. You know, this is harsh. Like <laughs> people, and I think all of I thought it was a fantastic review you guys did, and it was very accurate in reading it. Uh, there's one element that I'm doing for this one that I think will turn it from kind of a, a a potentially disastrous adventure, which for many people who ran it as an encounter season, it sounded like it didn't go well, and I can understand why because it's so linear, mm-hmm. not in not in kind of railroady terms, but you, you, you kind of have to be there for every session or you're going to miss out on major parts. And if you're there for only one of the sessions, you know, that could be the session that you're on garbage collection. Well, and, that, and that's the weird thing about the adventure, right? It, it is simultaneously both the most railroady adventure I've ever yeah. seen. Right. And at the same time, the most sandboxy one I've ever seen. Right. You know? So what I'm doing is I'm adding a fourth, a fourth variable. You know, so it has three big variables, right? The three big NPCs that kind of drive, you know, drive through the rest of the adventure and how the party deals with all the three of these NPCs and, 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 you know, works with them or works against them kind of, you know, leads to the final conclusion, which could be different for every table that runs it. Um, I, I went reading through it. It felt like there was a whole lot of garbage collection duty and like, go, you know, deliver this letter over to that guy and that'll mm-hmm. be an entire session. And I said, I, we're going to need more. And I need, I need to take this adventure and turn it a little bit more into Walker, Texas Ranger. So I'm adding my Walker, Texas Ranger variable, which is like a bunch of good old boys that aren't really good old boys. But you, there will be a fight every 15 minutes, right? Like <laughs> that, that no matter if you're on garbage collection duty, the, the, the good old boys from Walker, Texas Ranger are going to show up and you're going to get into a fist fight. Um, not, not quite that, not quite that direct. But if you think about it, well, OK, who were all those jackasses that were shooting people in the first scene? Right. They were mm-hmm. a bunch of cultists of Baal or whatever. Well, how come they're all gone now? Where are those guys? I mean, there's, there should be a whole bunch of them. So I'm going to throw a lot more of those guys in that are kind of hiding in the shadows. And they're going to be the fourth variable, which is like a clear, a clear villain that's up front rather than, you know, villains that are only in the shadows that only get discovered at the end. And I think that fourth, uh, that fourth variable will work well. Uh, and we will see. So I really enjoyed the first session. I've actually now run it three times because I ran the first session twice at Gen Con. Yeah, you ran and, it for me. Yeah, I ran it for you, and I ran it for Michelle, who also had it. So the one little element that I added in this time is at the very beginning of the game, I described like the heat of that battle. So the very first thing they heard about when it came to this was just the carnage of arrows being shot into crowds of people and strangers walking around with swords, hacking down innocent people in the middle of what should have been this beautiful ceremony. And then I stopped and said, okay, but let's let's find out how we got here, and let's go back you know, a few hours. And then started the adventure of them kind of going through Baldur's Gate on Founder's Day. And that's where we came to, okay, let's introduce all the characters and their backgrounds and how they're tied together and what brought them into that place for that battle to go on. And then when the battle happened, they said, well, this is what we heard about at the beginning. So that way, the, you know, Michelle wasn't too bored of the waiting for the battle to, you know, suddenly occur because everybody knew that it was going to occur. Um, so the hard part, one question that I have and I'm struggling with is I've, I've tried a bunch of different things to try to tie PCs together for a mini campaign like this. And the one that I've used the most is the fiasco style relationships where essentially everybody, you, 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 you write out a list of potential relationships, like maybe 20 of them. 
and then every player rolls and that defines the relationship between them and the person on their left, the PC on their left. Mm -hmm. And then it goes all the way around the table so that at the end, everybody has a relationship for the PC on their left and the PC on the right, which is essentially like getting two extra backgrounds, right? So as an example, one of the characters here, uh, his name is, his character's name is Duncan. He's a dwarf fighter. Um, he was a bouncer in the undercellar with Asep, the human cleric on his left. And he was a former squire of Blaze Older Ravenguard of the Flaming Fist, who's the elven ranger on his right. Now, that the nice thing about that is it gets all of the characters tied to other characters. Mm -hmm. It also ties them to a main element of the game. So like the fact that Blaze Older Ravenguard is an NPC and the fact that the Underseller is kind of this interesting place. Right. Um, they are also tied to that. So now they've got a direct connection to an element of Baldur's Gate. Um, the problem with that is that it's really kind of complicated at the end because now you've got these first-level characters who have race, class, background, uh, relationship one, and relationship two, right? So they have that's kind of a lot of stuff to have without having played your character yet at all. Um, the other problem with it is it doesn't necessarily tie the characters together because you could say, oh, well, I was a squire of Blaze Older Raven Guard, and so were you, but we were five years apart and we never actually met. Mm-hmm. And now there is no relationship tie, right? Like, yeah, I mean, some of that comes some of that comes from player buy-in too, right? I've seen it, I've seen yeah. I've seen you do it multiple on multiple occasions, and I've done it on multiple occasions. And and if the players are buying in, then 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 you then they recognize that the whole point of this is for us to have some sort of connection. So let's make that yeah. happen. Yeah, well, and and right, except even and I think maybe some of it just comes from having so much stuff, and because you start making, you know, as I think they say this in with when with aspects in uh, fate in fate core. That, you know, aspects are always true, right? So when you start to, and if you think about these backgrounds as aspects, like these backgrounds are truth, right? Like you were a squire of Blaze Older Raven Guard. And if someone else says, oh, so was I. And it was when I was young. And the other guy says, yeah, well, and I, and I knew you. Well, that meant it was when you were young too. And then right. if you say this other thing, so now you, you start kind of creating this interesting timeline. Like, you know, so two, two characters were both hired guards of the outer city and another two were former members of the watch at the same, at, you know, at a different time. And the question was, well, when were they members of the watch and how does it relate to the timeline of the other characters who were high guards of the outer city? And how did and, you do all that stuff so long ago? And now you're only yeah, first level and you're still only first level. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, or like, and I just showed up at the city. Well, how did you just show up the city? And you were also a former squire of a guy in the framing fist. How did that work out? Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of these truths that you have to kind of deconflict and you can just, you know, while you're sitting there, you just roll back and try to fix them. The problem is that, you know, that's a whole lot of like you haven't even gotten to the first paragraph of the adventure right? You know, and you're still trying to figure well, all and this I, out. And I, I suspect it's even more awkward in next because the first three levels are intended to be sort of your apprentice levels that define right. those early right. years anyway. So, yeah. So what I'm looking for and, and I'd like to hear what your guys opinion is. I'm looking for a simpler version of that. I want to tie the PCs to one another so that they're not five guys at a bar. Or they don't say like, oh, we all meet because we all happen to be in the same place at the same time. And I want to tie each character to an element of the game, to the element of the campaign, like, you know, 
if this is a Baldur's Gate campaign, I want each of them to feel like they're invested in some piece mm-hmm. of Baldur's Gate. But I want something that's easier than having two extra backgrounds per character with all sorts of things. You know what I did with my um, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil thing is that I, I did a very similar system, but I didn't tie it as directly to them so much as I did like their family. So it was a gen- it was a generational thing. Like a bunch of them, their their parents were the former heroes that, that the last time the temple was cleared out, mm-hmm. uh, and so and so they were connected. But they were connected because their parents adventured together, or their parents served as you know flaming fist guards together, or whatever you know. Right. Uh, right. And so th- in that way, it wasn't telling them their story, but it was telling them their parents' story and bringing some maybe not as tight a connection, but at least some some hint of you know there may be some fate at work here or some sort of there's some sort of cosmic connection between you guys mm-hmm. you know and what do they call that when like you know the, the past repeats itself you know like right there's a there's a deja uh, vu what they call it. not not just no. deja vu but there's like a mirror you know like yeah, yeah. you know I, stephen king says you know life is like a wheel or call like a wheel you know that you you always kind of end up doing the same thing you did 30 years ago or life will end up kind of doing the same thing it did 30 years ago My and that's kind of it, it's an interesting concept yes i have one way you can make it simpler Yes. Put everyone's name in a hat. Mm-hmm. Everyone draw a name. Don't draw your own name. Mm-hmm. And those two people now just get to decide what their relationship is going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually did that in my campaign. We had five or six players, and it worked out really, really well. I mean, and mm-hmm. they all felt they all. I mean, they kind of looked at what their classes were, and um, and they all they immediately made connections. And I I didn't ones that I didn't even think about. And they mm-hmm. weren't necessarily campaign related. They were just personal connections. Um, one example I have is my wife and um, uh, uh, the ranger in my in my group. My wife was a what she oh she was a bouncer. That's right. Um, she was a, a, a warlock, but she was a bouncer in a bar mm-hmm. at the moment. And mm-hmm. um, and she uh, drew the ranger's name. And it turns out that the ranger. Um, Used to uh, when she was living on the river with her father, they would meet at the at trade posts, and he would like teach her how to do stuff out in the woods and things like that, and and stuff like. And so they they like came up with a connection, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. literally like a little mini storyline, and they all basically did that. And I thought yeah. that was a really cool idea, and it didn't really you know I could tie those things later into the campaign if I wanted to, right. but it was very right. simple, and it was just a one time connect. You know, I mean it was one connection and it wasn't like so formalized that they had to feel like it was, um, you know, a vital thing. Yeah. Yeah, But I, I warned them ahead of time and I warned my players of this. Now I said, I don't do loners, no loners in my campaign, (laughs) no orphans. You better find it. Oh, (laughs) no orphans. My family was wiped out by orcs. I have, I have one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And and if you want loners and you could do the, almost the exact same thing, then going back to your, to your connect them to the campaign as well. You could also just have a random, you know, roll a D eight. Okay. You guys have this relationship and it has something to do with the flaming fist. You guys figured out, you know, Oh, and we, we were, we ran together as kids as, as street rats or whatever. And we had to escape the flaming fist that were always chasing us or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So one, one thing I, so I actually did this when I ran, um, uh, village of Hamlet, uh, Randall's favorite. And, uh, I talk about that tonight. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I actually took out a bunch of NPCs that were in that adventure and listed them out. I think it was eight or eight or ten of them that were kind of the main the main ones. And I that that, that won't fill a spreadsheet. What are you doing? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> 942 NPCs. But I, I tried to pick the, the main ones, and I was using the original one, right? The, right. the old 32-page one. <laughs> and uh, I, I would have each of the two players roll against that list, and I would say, okay, so it was you and that other player and this NPC. You guys decide how you're tied together. Right. So I didn't build the relationship for him. I didn't say like you were all students of one another or whatever. I just I said, that's up to you. And they made a little mini story. The only issue with that is in a four hour adventure that took like an hour and a half, mm-hmm. you know, going around the entire table that way. And it's also still meant. And, and Randall, I'm, I'm curious in yours, when when you're drawing names from the hat, does everybody draw? Yeah, everybody draws. So that means still you have everybody has two relationships, right? right? You, get, because, so you get a web. Yeah, yeah, sort of. I guess so. Because um, uh, like one person will draw for another person, that person's drawing. Well, that that means that person has the relationship the other person drew and their own. Yeah, right. I guess it. I guess it sort of is. I guess maybe the thing about it was that I didn't. Um, oh yeah, because the other situation at the time was um, uh, with Anna being uh, the bouncer. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a one of the other players who was a dragonborn happened to be a city guard and he would come into the bar all the time that she worked at mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that was that that was the other relationship see right. things were very loose they weren't real formal necessarily yeah, right and right. i didn't you tie don't have it, to totally fill them out yeah right and i honestly didn't want to tie it to the campaign because i didn't want to make them feel like i was tying their hands in that way as far as their mm-hmm. character backgrounds were concerned and right. so i i figured later i could utilize those relationships and the places and things that they mention later on in the campaign if i felt that was necessary but yeah uh, but yeah, that's pretty loose and it seemed to work but yeah I, I tend not to tie them to the story i just tie them to elements of the area right so like for hamlet i didn't say like i mean i guess actually with hamlet it was a little but it, most of the plot of the hamlet when i ran it came from their stories not from the adventure and and I'm already getting some of that in this. For example, I had this main villain in my mind that was going to be that fourth variable. And then one of the players is a, a bounty hunter, and he named a guy and created a background story of this dude he's chasing. And I said, well, my villain's going out the window, and that guy's going to be the new villain. Right? <laughs> like, uh, why, okay. why, why would I come up with one when you've got one that you already are mad at and we haven't even started? <laughs> right? Like, you already are emotionally invested, and I didn't even come up with the dude. Um yeah, so so I, I wouldn't want to tie them to the idea like they're involved in this strange cultist plot and all the assassinations and whatnot, although I guess this guy kind of is a little bit. But um, more of it was just to say we're playing in Baldur's Gate and I want you to feel like Baldur's Gate is a place you know rather than your five guys that could have been anywhere in Forgotten Realms and you ended up at Baldur's Gate. Um, so how do you – so there's one simple one that I've had in my mind and I've never really done it and I, I, I when I think about it, I think it's kind of lame. Um but it certainly could make life a little easier. And that's to say you end up picking like six major factions of, uh, of an area. You know, in Baldur's Gate, you might say, okay, you have the, the, you have the guard, you have the, uh, the parliament of peers, you have the, 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 what are they called, the, the ruling four, you have the guild, you know, you have the outer city people, you have little Kalimshan. And those are all kind of major city factions. And then as an entire group, they can either roll randomly at the beginning to determine which one of those factions they're all tied to. Or they get to kind of look at all six of them or whatever and say, I think we all as a group like the Flaming Fist and we want to be part of the Flaming Fist. 
And then that becomes the, the hub of all of their connections. And then they all decide, how am I tied to the Flaming Fist? And how do I know all these other people that are also part of Flaming Fist? Mm-hmm. So now it's not you, your five random guys that showed up in a bar. Now you're actually like, well, we're all Flaming Fist people. The only problem is like that puts you on a path right in the very first scene that's going to steer everything else that goes on, right? Because if you're Flaming Fist, that whole adventure is going to go different than if you're the guild. Yeah, that's true. And I don't, you know, so part of me is like it, 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 it means that there's a lot less, you know, like nuancey, detaily stuff and everybody's definitely together. And you didn't railroad them because you said like, look, here's six options. It's kind of like a video game when you pop it up and it's like, well, do you want to, you know, you want to be orcs or trolls or, you know, if you open World of Warcraft, you pick one of the major races, which determines right. your entire 25 levels, you know, in the beginning of the game. Um. How do you guys feel about that? Is that lame or is, is that an option? Uh, that sounds like an option to me. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly valid option. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think, in, I think mixing it up. prepared material like that, yeah. yeah I think, and I think mixing it up. You know, sometimes you do it one way, sometimes you do it the other way. That way it, it all continues to feel fresh. Yeah, right. So I'm, I might try that next time. Um, and it's interesting doing it in 13th Age because with 13th Age you can kind of tie them all to the icons. And I think if I run sure. – and when I run 13th Age again – I'm going to pick a set. I'm, I'm, I, th- I think what I'll do is at the beginning of an adventure or beginning of a game, I'm going to say, as a group, let's pick six icons. And those six are the ones we're going to focus on. And then, you know, everybody can pick those six and do stuff with those six. But those six icons are now connected. And those also build the relationships between players because, the, you know, when you have an icon that's connected to another person who has the same icon, now you've got some kind of relationship. Now, um, now I don't know if you – if I like – glazed over this when you were, when you were saying it but it also seems to me that if you do if you want to keep the team um cohesive mm-hmm. and not have you know like factions starting to develop within the team it's like I said show them those six options and say okay you guys have your relationships between each other pick one of these six and then we'll talk about how you're related to this group that you guys like the most yeah, so that would be the secondary right. part. It would be a lot less. It would be a lot less structured, right? So like, exactly. Yeah. All they'd have to do is kind of talk about it. They don't, you know, the yeah. like the ones I've got are pretty heavily structured. Like you know what your relationship is, and you know with with whom it, you know, you know yeah. that you're connected to one other person through that relationship and how it's tied to the world. Right. And you know, this would be. A, I think if you said like, okay, you're all flaming fist mercenaries how you guys know each other and then it's kind of up to them to kind of build it however they want and they can write down as much as they want or ignore what they want right um the funny thing is i've now done this like three times in like four weeks and i did it for village of hamlet and it worked really well and ended up driving the entire adventure and people loved it and then i did it for ravenloft which i thought it would have been fantastic because there's so much stuff in ravenloft there's so much and they never really used the relationships it was just mm-hmm. like well we're going right after strahd so yeah, sometimes, sometimes it, it's more dynamic than others you know yeah right and i and, I, and that yeah. kind of happens naturally like you know i talked with michelle about it and she said yeah we never really used those relationships and that was because we never did <laughs> like it wasn't your <laughs> fault we just didn't care <laughs> right said, hey, if you don't care and you run the adventure anyway then i think at one point like you know it was like three hours into the adventure and they're kind of like coming up to the final thing and go didn't we have a mission for you and I to both get the icon of Ravenloft? Wasn't weren't we supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah. like, oh, well, forget that. We're going after Strahd, you know. Yeah. So yeah. And since we're seven minutes over your time, oh my god! I'm sorry. <laughs> and that actually uh, is a is a decent transition to one of the the things I was going to talk about in my game, and I'm next. Um, so uh, 
I did something similar um, where I, I had the relationships, but then I also built in some like randomized background stuff that I introduced a couple sessions in, into my uh, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil game. And part of that is because I like the, everybody to feel connected to the story, but it's also building a larger world, you know? Uh, the world is bigger than just the the events of what's happening in the in the adventure, and there's you know a little side quests and things going on in the, in the story as well. Uh, and then I I'm coming to a slow I think realization that um, I'm enjoying the adventure, but I don't know that I want it to go on like a massive long full blown campaign with all of these extra things thrown in. And and I want to talk a little bit about how to get to the point and 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 speed things up without making the world seem shrink you know mm-hmm. small and and you know whatever i imagine that's a common problem mm-hmm. so yeah i want to move along in my campaign i'd like to to move quicker towards the conclusion but i don't want to make the world seem insignificant mm-hmm. thoughts randall um, Mike, you go first. Oh, because I've, I've got lots of thoughts. So I gave you the chance for the record. That's, that's okay. For the record, I'm good to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving um, you this one, Mike. So I, I've so I, I've I've done this because I've only run mini campaigns, right? So my expectation right. is that my campaigns are only going to run eight to twelve sessions, and I like them to start open ended. But when you're starting to get into like seven sessions, seven or so, you, you you're going to have to focus down on what exactly you're mm-hmm. going to do. And I've kind of told them outright, like. You know, here are the major storylines that are still open. You know, you, you kind of step. This is what I've done, and, it, and it's worked for me. I don't know if it'll work for everybody, but you you step back from the game for a minute with everybody there, and you say, so at this point in the game, you kind of have this, this, and this are your open, your sort of open areas. We have about five sessions left. Which one of those is important to you that you want to focus on? Mm-hmm. And then they say that one, and you go, then that's where we're going, right? And They've kind of determined the course, but at that point, you know, now the railroad's on. Right. Right. Now, what's interesting is you're hitting on, I, 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 God, I'm pumping my own articles. Um, That's okay. You know, I, I won't bother to link them. I don't write thank show you. notes. I wrote a Slight Flourish article <laughs> about this, which is really interesting. It's, it, it's the issue of organic storytelling and endings. Um, and the, the one that I used in particular was Breaking Bad. Did you guys watch Breaking Bad? I've seen the first no. couple of episodes of the first <sighs> season. Man, I don't want to spoil it. No, um, no, I know about it. It's not a kind of sh- – it's like The Sopranos uh, for me. It's not a show I'll ever watch. So, so I'm, I'm not going to give specifics away. But one of the things that makes that show so fantastic, and many shows like it, Deadwood's like it, The Wired is like it. There's a lot of shows like this, is that they follow an idea called organic storytelling, which is the idea that characters act the way characters would would act. And there's no arc to the story. There isn't this overarching drive that's going to push characters in a certain direction. And as we know, that makes D&D games a lot of fun, right? When things are driven from the actions of characters and NPCs, it can make for a much more dynamic game where you don't even know where it's going to go. The problem with organic storytelling is it often leads to crappy, crappy endings. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen King is notorious for this. Like The Dark Tower is this like 3,000-page book, and everybody hates the ending. Right. I haven't talked to anybody. I did. I didn't even read the ending. I stopped. There's a point where he says you can stop here and and and, you know, move on with your life or you can keep reading and, and probably hate this. And I stopped because <laughs> like, he told me to stop. Right. Like if he thinks his ending sucks, I'm guessing it does. So I'm not going to read it. But everybody I know read it. It was like, oh, it's awful. And the stand is the same way. You know, the stand had this crazy ending with this huge quest for people to go all across the desert. And these four guys, you know, go on a pilgrimage to Vegas and they get to Vegas and God sets off a nuclear bomb. And you're like, what the hell? Why, why'd they even send those four guys? <laughs> like, 
So the same problem hits our campaign, which is how do you end when when you've gone with an organic story? How are you gonna you how are you gonna end? And your choice is you either don't end it and you just stop, right? Like you 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 go organically, which is what Deadwood did, right? The the mm-hmm. TV show Deadwood, the last episode could have been any episode, hmm. or you railroad it. And you, you, you break away from what made it fun in the first place of organic and say, we are just going to head towards one particular ending, which is what Breaking Bad did. It said, you know, we're going to tie up every loose end we have, even if it doesn't make, you know, even if it is breaking the model we've used for the rest of the show. And now, people, and people I have, loved it. I have a very different situation here, though, because mm-hmm. I already know what the main story is. Right. I'm running a published adventure. I know where the A, the a plot is. Right. Uh, and I know wh- where it ends and how it ends. I'm just sort of wondering, I have all this superfluous extra stuff that makes the world feel more alive uh, mm-hmm. and ties them. You know, I have, you know, characters with backgrounds where they're looking sp- for specific items and all this kind of stuff. But if I if I have a contrived thing where they just suddenly start finding all this stuff, mm-hmm. I'm worried that it feels contrived. If I mm-hmm. don't, um, then, then I'm worried that, you know, why did we ever do it to begin with? Although some of them I think have completely forgotten that those things even exist. So I could probably just cut them in. It wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, right. And, you know, I have other plots that I've seeded mm-hmm. that, that all of a sudden they might start wondering, well, maybe we should go deal with that. Or do I have NPCs deal with it and, and you know, let them know that, you know, oh, yeah, that thing happened and they, this is what they found out or whatever, you know? Right. Okay, I have, I have thoughts now. Okay. <laughs> My thoughts is that, Jeff, I think you're holding too tight onto your story. Okay. How so? Assume, assume that the story will not end in the way you think it will. Because the very first thing you said was, I know how the story is going to go. I would let go of that. Well, it's a published adventure. They either defeat the doesn't bad matter. guys or the bad guys no, take over the world. <laughs> I'd argue that it doesn't you matter. You are not bound by your published adventure. No, I, no, get, I, get, I get that. Uh, <laughs> but, but at the same time, there's more or less two outcomes. Either, either, either they free Thara's done or they don't. Okay. You know. Well, okay. Well, yeah. So, yeah <laughs> polar. And, and I guess that's a big, I guess that's a big world breaking type right. of moment. Um, and that's fine. But, um, if that well, you, you can also well, you could assume this. You can assume that if the ending goes bad and Thursday is released, then the other side points aren't going to matter at all because doom, destruction, whatever. Well, and here's the other thing: is that, is that have everyone write their own ending and then sort of play it out, and then that would be really cool, right? Um, but what what what? I mean, I mean, the the issue here is not that they're getting distracted from the main plot. Like they're on their they're on their railroad, right? They know where we're going, and, and they're happy to be there. Um, so, so it's not like I'm forcing them towards the, an ending that, that the published adventure prescribes. They're on board with all of that. Um, it's just a matter of do I just drop the other things and pretend they were never there? Or, or do I try to sort of wrap them up? And do, how do I do it without making it seem corny or shrinking the world? Do you, do you think that they – I mean some groups just kind of don't care if things are contrived or not. Like they might quip about it, but they don't really care. Do you think your group is, – is your group – tied to kind of not only the story but kind of how things occur and that they want to occur realistically enough that they're going to give a crap i think well i think a lot of them like the background ones that was so early on in the campaign and it hasn't really been touched on much at all that if i just never touch bother, bother to mention it again yeah no one would even remember nobody would even remember yeah. Then so I would there's, just there's your answer. <laughs> yeah, I'd let him go then. Yeah, I mean, if you force them, then it's then it will be awkward. Right. And and if someone brings it up, then you just say, oh, okay. And, and then, then, then I do something about it. And then you do something with it. Right. I wish I had your problem. Sure. Because but, I don't have players that are story driven players. Yeah, and, mine's had nothing um, to care. I get that. Yeah. 
No, and, and my and and, and my the players other... want to go from one dungeon room to the next and kill stuff and take <laughs> sure. it. That's the, really what they want to do. The I, other side know. plot I have that that the other side plots I have, I guess, have largely been introduced uh, out of game, like through the newsletters that I do every every uh, ep- or every session. Um, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So they're like, I've seeded, you know, oh, this thing is happening over here in this town that, that you've now found out about through this newsletter or whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm worried about that. I should go take care of that or whatever. So I could probably wrap it up within the newsletter as well and just sort of reveal, oh, this is what was going on. And it's, you know, maybe keep, oh, sure. keeps the world still feeling alive and that not everything revolves around them also. Right, right. You, know, yeah, there's... you, you didn't choose to deal with it at that time, so somebody else did. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Breaking Bad for just one minute. Because it's interesting. In the, in the there's a scene in the very last episode where Walt, who has never shown any theological uh, uh, connection wait, wait, at hold all, up, guys, what? if you're listening and you haven't yeah, watched, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I'm not going to spoil this is a, you, spoil this everything. Is a spoiler alert. This isn't that bad a spoiler, except that obviously in the last episode, Walt is still alive. Well, he's a main um, character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right. about him. Uh, but there's a scene. So he's never shown any theological interest at all. He's never said anything about God. He's never made any kind of idea that he has any sort of religious connection at all. Except at the very last scene, he's sitting in a car and he he looks up and he says, "Take me home." Looking up at anybody, and you know, is he talking to God? Is he talking to us? Is he talking to Vince Gill- Gilligan, the writer? We don't know. And all of a sudden, literally. Something falls from from the sky and lands in his hand, and it sets the course for everything to go right for him for the whole rest of the episode. Oh. And it ties up every loose end. So wow. if, if you think that your players are willing to accept this idea that, like, there is a god in the machine, and it's going to tie, you know... It's gonna. I, I hate it, that plot device, though, Mike. That, that, well, I know that, that is That's a really obvious Deus Ex Machina, it, right? <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah. but here's what's funny: the reviews for that episode of that show were fantastic, yeah. right? And no one even really kind of caught on to this idea. There was one person who said that you know they were pretty sure that the whole thing was just a dream because no nothing ever went that right for him in the whole rest of the series. And <laughs> but you know, so the question is like: is it cooler for your players to see all of the? loose ends tied or is it cooler for the ending to continue to move organically mm-hmm. based on the realistic things that would happen mm-hmm. um i mean that's that's kind of true and then one way to ask that is what if you actually sat down with them and said okay we're, we're closing in on the end what are the main elements that you want to see tied up mm-hmm. and then they give you a list maybe it's one element per player like what are what are the elements you want? and they might say well i want the same thing he wants or i just want to do x i want to kill at least 12 more fire elementals okay i think i think i got some ideas to to think about and and work with there uh my other issues to deal with first of all last time we recorded last month i discussed that um i am short players and i would love to have more players and we talked about if there's anybody listening who lives in the area that would like to join me please send me an email and then it was pointed out to me on twitter that throughout the entire thing i never mentioned where my area was uh so we're still looking for a player or two uh, and it turns out we live in the Raleigh-Cary area of North Carolina. So if you live in that area and are interested in joining a game twice a month, please let me know. The Tome Show at gmail.com. I don't need any more advice on that issue, I don't think. But <laughs> it was worth noting that that's an issue. Um, here's the other issue tied to that. Because of our lack of players... Uh, we've had a few of them that have had some things come up, you know, uh, a surgery that had to be done and, and uh, a job thing that had to be done or whatever. And we've canceled a couple of games now, which is always troubling, especially when it's two times in a row. 
Um, but we're supposed to do a makeup game this weekend for the one that was canceled last weekend. Does that mean you haven't played in six weeks? So that means I have not played in like six mm. weeks. Wow. So my question is advice on picking up uh, my campaign after you know going so long without playing in the middle. I mean, they were gearing up for an assault on one of the most powerful temples of of you know the the temple of all consumption, um, and then. We ended up with an unplanned, you know, six-week break. Um, you know, so we left off. I guess we left off on a bit of a cliffhanger, and that might actually be a good thing. I don't know. Hmm. This is my standard way of playing, so I, I have no. <laughs> we often play for every four to six weeks, so I mean, based on. In fact, I've got to push. I have a game scheduled for this weekend because we got family stuff going on. I got to push it back a weekend. Fortunately, Thanksgiving is the very last week of the mm. month, and so I don't have to worry about it running up into Thanksgiving. So. Still have a free weekend, in other words. But, yeah, um, that doesn't usually bother me any. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so given that they're just on their way to assault this temple, did they really want to assault that temple? Was oh, that- yeah. No, they were on board. And, and they'd worked out a deal with one of the other temples. They're going to do sort of this pincer move where they're going to be attacked from both sides. And I've got this yeah. whole uh, this whole thing like with, with a betrayal in the middle, you know, because the other temple wants to see him dead, too. So I figured they'd sort of wait for the, the PCs to clear out the, the fire temple and then the water temple suddenly like, aha, thanks, and, yeah. then, and then smack him down. So it turned, it turned into a, a hard fight, which is good because I've had a, lo- a lack of hard fights in D&D Next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not me. Um, is how, and your games are long, right? Yeah, we tend to go six to seven hours. Yeah, so that's a good amount of material. Because you know, the, the one thing I always like is the time jump. I love to jump some element of time. You know, like a year, it's been one year. Which would also <laughs> address the issue of speeding up, right? So well, one, yeah. one year and later, also, you've already conquered the Fire Temple. Ha-ha. It's also a really interesting way to end a campaign is you say, okay, let's jump You know, two years past. Where is your character now? Mm-hmm. And then they can say, oh, well, now I'm the Duke of whatever. And you're like, you know. Some some campaigns, there was one campaign we played in for years that I had more fun figuring out what my character had done two years later than I did during the actual campaign. Sure. <laughs> now, um, part of the trick I need to is, think about that idea myself. And I don't want to do too many time jumps because I've already built in uh, a you sort of – time trap thing. Right. I've, I've, I've got this whole time jump thing happening anyway. Yeah. Every, every time they destroy an altar, I'm moving them forward in time. Yeah, right. And they don't even know it sometimes, right? Well, they didn't know it the first time and then they figured it out eventually. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's an option for a really interesting time jump. You know, as your as your game is closing, mm-hmm. it sounds like if you're gonna have an assault in the temple, then that's what you ought to do. Well, the, the, they're in the temple of all consumption, wherein there are four elemental temples, right? And then there's the center, sort of, you know, mastermind temple in the middle. Yeah. And then it turns out that all of that was sort of uh, that you really need to go back to where you started to the original temple, and that's where it ends. But you know, spoiler for anybody who's looking at the Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil. <laughs> and, the, and and one of the issues at the, the Temple of Elmley, it's got about four thousand rooms, right? Um, the the larger Temple of All Consumption has has uh, like two hundred and some rooms, right? The the actual Temple of Elmley Evil does not. That's, okay, that's just sort of where the final right thing right. is happening. Is there a way to blow up three quarters of the temple so that it kind of you know restricts down all of their potential options over time? Um, I, I mean, I could um, do some stuff like that, right? Because I have – they've taken out the, the air temple. Um, they've established a dwarven sort of contingent in, in the old dwarven area. Uh, I mean it's, it all used to be dwarven areas, right? They're assaulting the fire temple now. And 
at the end of the assault of the fire temple, I'm going to have them be attacked by the primary, you know, the, by the main bad guys from the water temple. So they they will have effectively cleared out the water temple at the same time. Right. So all right. that's left is the air, uh, is the earth temple, um, which they avoided because they have ungodly high AC because it's troglites in plate mail. <laughs> right. That's kind of funny. They avoided. I thought you were going to say ungodly bad hygiene. <laughs> that, that too. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's, I like the idea that they avoided a whole temple because of AC. Well, because they, they, they that, that's where they that's where they first went, and they ran wow. to one chocolate. There's no other story reason for it other than well, they, well metagaming. Yeah. Well, it's not exactly metagaming. They, they ran into a couple of troglodytes, and they realized yeah. we cannot hit these things. Clearly, we're not ready for this fight. Well, let's go the other way. That's pretty. Great. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't completely meta, but that's what it came down to. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I could do something wherein, you know, the dwarves or whoever have gone in and they've assaulted the Earth Temple or whatever and, and speed that up. And then the Water Temple is more or less cleared out because they they use all of their forces to attack you and you've already defeated them in the Fire Temple. Uh, and so the Earth Temple sort of expanded to take over and, and that expansion, you know, left them spread out too thin and, and allowed the dwarves to take them on or whatever. Right? So I could I could skip to the to the end of this section pretty, pretty quickly here after a, another session or two, I think. Right. Can I can I ask a question about your game? And I, I think the alarm went off, but I have a I have a quick question that yeah sure people may be interested, and I certainly am interested. Can you talk more about how you make the little newspaper things, and particularly like how do you come up with the stories? How long does it take you to make them? Is there any special weird formatting or anything that you do for them? Well, I I use uh, just a a newsletter template um, right in my word processor, uh, and then it it's. There's not much extensive stories because it's just a template and I want to keep it down to one page. Right. The back is just uh, a big, you know, I fill half a page or so of just a, a, a DM. It's, I, I literally just title it the DM report for each session. Mm-hmm. And then it's my speaking in a meta way sort of of what happened in the last session. Uh, and actually they pay the least amount of attention to that. Uh, and then I fill up the rest of the space with pictures and things to represent what they fought and, and where they went and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on the front side then, it's basically um, there's a headline – you know, which I use to to give a little a little teases to right. some of the things going on, or to review some of the things that are going on with a little subhead that gives a little more detail. And then there's three little short, and they're not even they're like excerpts. I only write like three or four sentences per okay. story. So you don't have like big long prose. No, no, it's not, it's very very short. And then and then it's a, then it's a handful of pictures with captions, you know, in, in the other corner. Uh-huh. Uh, and so and usually those things are connected to the to the stories. And then the stories are either uh, recapping sort of. These are the consequences of your actions, you know. Um, you did this thing and this is what's happening in other parts of the world because of it. Uh, and some of it is me seeding, you know, and there's other things going on. You know, there's this this siege going on of of, uh, of Hammerfast, uh, of forces from the temple. But you took out the air temple. So what did that do to the siege? And, and um, the, the I've had this dwarven immigration thing going on. And I've had the – I've got – there's this sort of story of, of uh, drug addiction going on back in town. And so I've, I see some of those stories in there. And I usually try to have at least one of them give some hints and some previews of what they're going to be doing in that session. Right. You know, to give that session a little bit. Oh, yeah. Cool. I totally understand why it's important that I'm killing Fashish because they talked about Fashish here or give mm-hmm. some hints as to, hey, Fashish and this other guy don't really get along. Maybe you could play them off of each other. And so I uh, I give some hints uh, in at least one of the articles that way. Mm-hmm. So. That's great. Yeah. So the um, Baldur's, Murder of Baldur's Gate has a – they talk about the uh, the founder's voice, which is the Baldur's Gate newspaper, and it's this perfect – 
way of doing exactly. They even talk about it in the book about, you know, mm-hmm. this is a great way to tell your players about things that are going on and how their actions are affecting well, the world around them. And I mean, actually, I want to do that, but I'm lazy. The newsletter has actually even become a sort of one of those side plots that I'm talking about trying to figure out what to do with, right? Because right. because there's a guy that they've met who's making the newsletter. They don't know right. how they don't know how he's making it. They know he's following him around. He's got a name and he's referencing them and one of them one of the PCs he actually had a, a you know, background connection to him or whatever, because he owed him some money. Um, and, and the news, like, they don't even understand how they're getting the newsletter or how this guy knows what's going on. Like, they have a newsletter in their pack, and every every morning they wake up, and there's a new newsletter there, and they don't know where it came from or how it got there. That's like one of the watchers of, of what, OA, or isn't that what they're called, from DC? The 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 Guardians of the Galaxy? Guardians of, uh, o- yeah, whatever it is. That they uh, live on OA, Green yeah. Lantern. yeah. Well, right, and so you know, yeah, they have no idea what he's doing, it, how he's doing it, how he knows what's what's going on, but he does. And honestly, hmm. I'm not entirely sure either. <laughs> but but I keep making a very clear point. No, this is actually happening. This newsletter is not just a meta thing that I'm handing you every week. It's a phys- physical newsletter that your characters have and they find every right. every morning when they wake up. It's there's just one in their pack, and you don't know how it gets there. And I thought that was a fun little mystery. And you know, <laughs> you know, that is pretty cool. Maybe uh, someday we'll figure out why. <laughs> I've do I've done guess guess. Uh, Gazetteers. Gazetteers. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't pronounce it right. Um, before, and I've done it in the in a situation. It was more of a quest delivering device, mm-hmm. and so it was more like a uh, story plot or or story um, um, hooks and stuff like that. But it was done in a an actual um, uh, as though it was news delivered to taverns and stuff. Mm, cool. And things like that. So, yeah, they're fun to do. They're a lot of work, but yeah. they're fun to do. And, and that was actually my original idea was that it was something that you'd be picking up as you're traveling around town. And then it occurred to me, well, they're spending day after day after day in the dungeon. There's no easy way to explain how they're getting the newsletter, but I want to keep doing it. So I just sort of had to right. keep showing up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when I do it. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, I'm now over time. Mike went over time. We're leaving Randall uh, just enough time. And we also have questions from Twitter. So if we're, if we're going to have any chance of getting to those, I think we should move on to Randall. All right, let's do it. A um, couple of things to talk about. Um, uh, I don't really have a lot of conundrums right now. Uh, my players are still in the uh, 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 dungeon uh, below the moat house near the village of Hamlet. Um, if you re- recall from last session, I had a close TPK but didn't have it. Uh, one player actually died, uh, came back as a barbarian in the same session, um, came wandering out of the ghoul catacombs, um, and... Uh, I had really expected them to go f- – uh, f- They when they left off, they were in the well room where the uh, – uh, what is that thing called? Giant crayfish was. Mm-hmm. And um, they'd killed that, of course, and they were sort of resting down there. And what happens in my campaign is if a, player, a certain player doesn't make it, that character becomes mysteriously ill. Mm-hmm. And so they become kind of either baggage or they got to put them someplace safe. Well, um, <laughs> they, 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 don't, to, they don't tie them onto a stick and use them to, de- to detect no, traps. No, no, they really don't. All they're, the time. they're more generous than that. But um, I really expected them to go north and find the uh, find the knolls and the uh, bugbears. But instead, they decided to take the side passage, which leads straight to um, uh, uh, Lara. Yeah, yeah, and all of his bad guys, hmm. and they're. Realized very quickly after oh after wiping out one unit, I think they wiped out about one unit, and there's like three units of six guards and a sergeant, and then you have Lareth's assistant, and um, they finally realized they were overpowered, 
And so they fled down that one far opening that leads out into the swamp. And But they left two of the companions that were missing players and so thus sick characters in the well room. And um, so they decided to double back and go back into the moat house after resting. And they realized that someone has pinned a note. And it turns out that what happened is that the Knowles found their sick companions and um, and is holding them hostage so that the Knowles can get help from the players or from the characters. Mm-hmm. The Knowles are sick of the bugbears and, and want help. Um, Somebody backing up? Your, your popcorn's so the, ready. Yeah, sorry about the beep. Um, Anna's <laughs> actually got a, Anna actually has a pie in the oven, so uh, hopefully she heard it. Hold on a second. I'm going to mute you guys just real quick. Sorry about the time. <laughs> uh, well, you get, we have to vamp now. We can't just go. We can't just stop talking because if we stop talking, I have to edit. And No, there really, we go. Okay. Oh. Uh, I am back. I just had to holler. I didn't want to shout into the mic. Um, so that's going to be happening next session, I think. Um, obviously, there's going to be reinforcements. Um, there are going to be barricades. It's going to be a little different now um, because now that they know that People are intruding, um, but uh, there ought to be a nice little sideline there with um, negotiating for the uh, other characters um, and help actually helping out the Knowles. So we'll see. My wife just came down, so I can't avoid any spoilers. So I'm going to talk about the other thing that I'm going to talk about. And the other don't thing. Don't tell me the pie is done if you don't want me to come down. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, my wife, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Um, yay. Yay. Uh, the other thing I, is a sneak preview um, is the fact that I've been working on plans to do a Numenera campaign. Mm. Um, and I'm using the video game uh, based in the uh, Mist and Riven universe. And the game is called Uru. Um, if you're not familiar with it, look it up. You can actually get it on GOG, I think, for like like 10 bucks or something. Um, it's really inexpensive. And um, it's you, one of those. Have you walked this path before? I have, but actually, <laughs> you're, you're still not sick of the of the mist riven universe. I'm really not, and okay. and one of the things is, um, one of the things is that Uru is far more um, suited to Numenera than it is even to D and D. Yeah, um, <coughs> though because of Numenera is the fact that it's a game of discovery. This fits very well with the same kind of philosophy that games like Mistin and, and Riven and Uru have, is that they're largely discovery games. Um, I'll throw a couple of combats in there just to make it interesting and make it a little different, but um, it's really I think it's really going to work very well in, in that spirit. I think the toughest part, um, and I said this when I bought Numenera, was was selling the idea that it was a game of exploration. Mm-hmm. If you can sell that to your players, um, and I probably won't be using the same players that I have from a D and D campaign. I just they're just not the type that will get into that. Um, so I'll have to look for newer players, but um, or or new players, excuse me. But I actually plan on running it at Gen Con. Mm. So right now I'm in the process of just as a one shot. I'm I'm only doing the first, you know, like all video games come they come in segments, and um, so it's just really the first chapter, if you will, um, and uh, 
you explore some kind of cool areas and you get some cool speeches and I, really what I'm going to do kind of as a as, as a test case to see if it's interesting for a longer campaign, which it would work into. Um, but um, but will work as the one shot for the piece that I want to do. So uh, right now I'm basically breaking down the elements. And this is the interesting part is that video games like this, you can actually break down the elements and assign them to, you know, uh, to the game. And so one of the first things that was, you know, what exactly is an artifact? You know, what is a discovery? Um, these are all definable things in Numenera. And so, you know, um, in the game, if you find a piece of technology like a, uh, a holographic viewer, you know, if that's fixed to the wall, that's really a discovery. It's not an artifact because by the game definitions, if you look at the rest, artifacts are something that players can carry around with them. Um, the uh, ciphers are things that are one-shot deals, you know, give a temporary boost to the character's performance for whatever. Um, and so you have to kind of define, you know, what those kinds of things are. Uh, so, and I actually kind of dig doing that. I liked breaking down the, a, a, a video game like that into its components and saying, you know, okay, okay, this is a place, this is a location, here's a potential, even if there is no actual monster encounter in the game at least this is a place that could be one um you know that kind of stuff so that's the other piece i'm working on um to jump back real quick to uh village of hamlet um like i said we're pushing our game back a week and it'll be interesting to see how they uh negotiate with the uh, uh with the gnolls for their uh hijacked companions or the kidnapped companions and that's basically what's going on Kind of jumped hmm. over, or jumped around a little bit. I don't really have any conundrums. I'm pretty much, um, you know. Have you, have you played? Right have you played Numenera yet? I actually haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Not actually it's, played. It's interesting. I I I I really want to love it, and I I kind of do love it. Um, but it's very particular to a certain kind of player. Um, like Michelle doesn't doesn't really care for it because you. As as one person on Twitter put it, you have to rip your own arm off to get a power attack on a guy, right? Like you you end up using up. It's essentially like you're using your hit points to generate, you know. Oh yeah, you have to borrow from your. If you really want, if if you're a power hitter, or you expect to want to be able to hit every round, or if you right. want the bonuses, you really you have to dip into your pool, right? And, and that's yeah, that, that, that it's not even like that mechanic because like Fate Core has that same sort of mechanic with. Essentially, you have fate points and you throw in fate points to get a boost, mm -hmm. but you also right. could use those fate points to defend yourself and, and take less damage. So it's kind of the same thing, right? Those yeah. fate points are could be converted into either, you know, hit points or stress as they put in fate or right. boosting damage. But it seems the connotation is negative in, in Numenera. And I think yeah. that kind of hurts it. The other one is you can you actually can use up experience points for rerolls, which ends up putting a strange dynamic in between campaigns versus one-shot games. Because in one-shot games, you don't care about your experience. You know, just always use it to reroll. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. love it. I mean, I really, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear more. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'll, I'll obviously do a, um, I'll have a test game before I actually take it to Gen Con. Um, and then I'll select some people that I know that are, might be interested in running it. Like I said, the tough part, I think, will be selling, for selling Numenera is the fact that, you know, you don't get experience and you don't get necessarily benefits from killing stuff and, and or killing things and taking their stuff. Um, I know some I guess, people. Yeah. Done. 
I, I, you know, I mean, these days, and I don't know if you guys are still counting experience points and stuff, but I haven't done the experience in pretty much anything I've run in a long time. I and, am in this D and D next game, but yeah, yeah I haven't. It just passed, yeah. to me, it's it's just you know, I mean, like I was bigger into it before, but now it just seems like extra bookkeeping. And what ends up happening is you kind of are giving out levels or whatever as a as a method of discovery or you know completion of quests, vice you know yeah. killing killing orcs. I'm do I've gone I've swung back and forth, and in fact, a lot of times it'll be like up to level ten. I'll make them count experience points, and then after that, I'm not worried about it because I'm more concerned about other things. So, right, and then yeah, but it, it goes back and forth, but. But right now I'm o- I'm okay with it. I, I mean, I still wish I played more often, and I wish my characters were more than just you know, kill stuff and take their kill monsters and take their stuff. But it right. is what it is. So right. <laughs> so we can get to some questions if you want, Jeff. Cool. Who had the questions pulled up? I got them in front of me right now. Ask a question. First one is from Eric Paquette. Uh, are you still using prep templates and how are they working out Mike Shea? I think that was for Jeff, right? Yeah, I'm not sure who that one's for. Uh, Eric. Hey, well, it's addressed to Sly Flourish, Squatch, and myself. Right. No, but I, I specifically, I think that's in reference to things. And I don't know if it's in reference to something that he read on Sly Flourish that Mike's doing. I don't know if it's in reference to the fact that he he does the book club with us. And we did um, Never Unprepared and it, it deals with templates. And I talked about how I was using them and stuff there. So I don't know if which one he's referencing. Have you been talking about templates on on Sly Flourish at all, Mike? I, 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 yeah, a little bit with uh, like I have a GM cheat sheet. All right. Well, why don't uh, you talk? About, why don't you talk about what you? I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll about. be real quick. I mean, so I just I like to create a one page sheet. I actually just made one for this uh, Baldur's Gate game that essentially you know it, it it focuses on the characters. It focuses on interesting plot points or interesting story seeds that are tied to those characters, and it defines the relationships and. Um, it also has things on it that are, you know, important for me. I like, and actually it's not on here and I should put it on here as a random name list. I, I need a good set of random names to pick from. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as soon as I pick a random name, I got to make sure to write it down. Cause they'll, they'll, you know, somebody, somebody better remember that that name is. Um, so I've been using it, but I don't. I don't think that's what his question. I think he was talking to you about your thing. I'd okay. like to hear about that. Um, uh, the, and the answer is no. Um, <laughs> I tried to give it a shot during the month or so that we were reading the book, so that I could really see how it worked and, and what I liked and what I didn't like about it. There are certain things I did like about it, and I've come to a point where I just don't really need it right now. Like again, using a published adventure, I have a lot of that stuff already figured out for me. Um, I don't need to worry about my prep and I don't need to worry about what's going on and where my story is and all that. And especially because I've been thinking about uh, speeding things up. So I'm not adding stuff to it like I uh, like I might have in another situation. Right. Um, So I don't have a lot of stuff to track on my own. It's all there for me published. Um, I think there's there's room for that. I still like I have ideas for for future campaigns. And I think there there are places wherein I could put put together a template and utilize that to help track a campaign that I'm creating on my own from scratch uh, with a little bit more success. But I don't know. Uh, I thought it was an interesting idea, but it's also an idea that has not been sustainable for me given the amount of time that I have. It actually ended up taking more time for me than not doing it. Um, And I've got over 20 years of experience DMing, so I I just, it hasn't been something that I've needed to do. So Mm -hmm. I think that answers the question. I think that, um, just one last little point, I think that probably for every type of campaign and every type of DM, it's probably best for them to design their own campaign worksheet 
that helps them run yeah. their game. And that's, whatever, actually, that's actually whatever elements it needs. That's actually one of the things that the book. Uh, I think it was never unprepared that talked about templates. Um, that's one of the things they actually mentioned. They they don't actually build a t- or show you a sample template at all. Um, they just sort of walk you through, or he walks you through, sort of some of the thoughts and the processes of of how to build one. Um, which actually I think is possibly a weakness. Like I think it would have been good to see a handful of samples. Um, just to see sort of what an idea of what the the template could look like, um, but they didn't, and I think I think there's a a, a justifiable reason that they didn't. Um, but yeah, because everyone everybody needs to have their own customized one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, another question. Um, and Cake's the pie's ready. pipes done. Pie's really done this time. Apparently, there's two more <laughs> minutes on it. Um. The question is, I feel like the adventure I am – oh, this comes from – sorry. This is Michael, better known as Laser Sniper 15 Michael, please see me about a new Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, that's beside the point. No, Michael's question is, uh, I feel like the adventure I am running is escalating way too fast for a third-level party, but I don't know how to slow it down. I think I may have added too much too fast and don't know how to fix it. Um, I'll go ahead and take this one first since you guys jumped on the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's easy when you have lots of great ideas to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at the players or at the characters, that is. Um, and basically, it depends on what it is that you've thrown at them. If it's choices, just cut the choices. Um, if you If the players have already made some of the choices in a selected category of things – eliminate the rest of them and let the players go with what they have. Um, if you think you've added too many magic items to the campaign, man, those get stolen all the time. They fade, they break, they wander off. Rust monster. Yeah, but, right, rust monster. So, you know, there are a lot of different elements that you can do. Sometimes it's even best if if you if you're really not sure, consult with your players. Say, look, you know, I may have been a little over-enthusiastic about a couple of things, um is there anything you think we can do without is there too much you know of this and if it's story elements like court intrigue if you got this going on over here then you got some natural disaster going on over here you got some evil empire over here you know you got way too many story things going on bring it down to a more simpler thing or let the players you know kind of lead you into what they want to do do they want to do court intrigue great go do that do they want to defeat the evil empire great go do that if they want to go simple and just go dungeon exploring then let them do that yeah. um you know but let the players uh you know kind of guide you in what uh, you want to do um and th- that's basically the the advice i have and and part of the trick here is that we don't exactly know what he means by moving too fast. You know, right. if, if it's if the I'm issue making guesses here, right, yeah. if the issue is that we're moving too fast towards the conclusion of the adventure, and you wanted to, you want it, we're expecting it to last longer. Um, I would I would say two things. One, um, that's where I always throw in all those side things going on. You know, the the things connected directly to the the players or to the world that makes everything feel larger and and and. Uh, and like the world, you know, is breathing, you know, um, and so and that can, has a ten- can have a tendency to slow things down. Uh, you can al- you could also, uh, you know, have a contrived way of sort of delaying things. Hey, they've been hunting down this guy, and and the guy mysteriously disappeared. Now you slowed things down, right? Because yep. you, you were racing towards the end, and then you burst into the the final room, and ah, oh, he wasn't there. Weird. What's going on? Now you've got a mystery on your hands. Uh, and then the other thing I would say with that is that um, if it's racing too fast to the conclusion, that's okay, right? 
let it race to the end, you know, let it be a, a, a full barrel, you know, uh, sprint right down, right down from beginning to end. And, and that's fast paced and that's fun and that's okay. Um, you know, you'll come up with ideas or, or something to do with the next adventure. You know, don't, don't hang on to it artificially if you don't need to let it go fast and let it end. Um, do we have time for one more question? Or Mike, did you have input on that one or? Nope. Okay. Um, we have time for one more question. We'll make time. Uh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Bravo, who is known as Clamp Controller um, on Twitter. Clamp Controller. <laughs> Clamp. Clon. Controller. Yeah, Controller. <laughs> okay. I. Yeah, I don't know what these kids these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so his question is, big fan. Well, hey, thank you very much. It's always nice to have a fan. Um, Johnny Bravo says he's a big fan. Are you partial to using visions to pass info to PCs, for example, deities and ancestors? Uh, what possible alternatives he asks to maybe doing this? Um, uh, I do this ahead. on occasion. Um, I don't like. I I don't want to overdo it, but on occasion I will. Um, uh, well, I'll isn't have, your uh, little uh, your your sheet or whatever your uh, my newsletter? Uh, your newsletter, isn't that kind of like that? It, I suppose it, it works as an alternative to that, right? It, it serves some of the same meta purpose, right? Um, you know, and so absolutely, and 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 I have done the whole. You know, you have a vision of the future or a vision that you know is symbolic for things that might be happening in in the adventure later on. Um, I've actually, as another alternative, um, I've had. Um, you know, I, I I did a thing, and I think we I mentioned it uh, in the you know episodes and episodes ago when the party was traveling from Hamlet to Raster for the second section of of the game, and I had a player missing for that whole adve- whole thing, and I just sort of explained that they woke up one day and he was gone, and then when they arrived at Raster, he was already there and had been there all along, <laughs> you know, and and in between, I did something through email with that player that he had actually gone and visited and had a conversation with one of the you know the the uh, exarchs of his god. You know, uh, and which sort of served the same purpose, right? It, it was a hey, there are some things going on, and some things I want you to watch out for that passed on that some of that information. But it was it wasn't a vision; it was directly talking to the agent of of the god. Um, so there's yeah, lots of things that I've done like that. Um, and I say I don't like to overuse it. And at the same time, it sounds like I do. <laughs> so, but it, you know, it doesn't. It's not like it comes up every session. It's like once yeah. or twice a campaign, with the exception of the newsletter, which, like you said, serves some of the same purpose. Um, for me, I don't use it all that often. I think it's too easy to, I mean, unless you just want to railroad your characters, it's easy to use those kinds of things to do that. Um, because obviously if you intrude within a vision, then the player's going to take that pretty seriously. It's like, oh, well, obviously they want me to do something or otherwise, why would he go to the trouble to give me this vision, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would much rather use uh, impressions or feelings, and of course, in my in my real life, I'm not really a spiritual person anyway, and so I'm more likely to use, um, uh, for lack of a better word, secular means of convincing a player to try to do a character to try to do something than having a vision. Um, I have I have used it. Uh, I can't say I've completely or never used it, or I don't like it, or whatever. I can't say that. But it is a very, very rare thing for me on my campaign. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that it's not – I mean it's not always 
done in such a way, or at least the way I've done it has not always been done in such a way that creates the railroad, you know? Right. Uh, and some, sure sometimes case, sometimes yeah. it's me giving emphasis and a little bit of oomph to something that they were going to do anyway. Um, right. Sometimes it's me saying, hey, here's this weird symbolic thing that you saw in a vision one time. Now let's work together and see if we can figure out a way to see if, you know, that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy and make it happen. I don't actually have a plan for where it's going, you know. Right. Uh, it's, it's one of those things, one of those, you know, it's like, it's like why we enjoy watching time travel uh, movies and stuff, right? It's like watching the Terminator movies, you know. They come, they come from the future and do all this stuff in the past and it actually ends up creating the very future they came from, you know. How do, how do you find those weird little things? Um, so now if you find – oh, go ahead. No, 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 what are you going to say? I was going to say, if you find yourself being really clever, I actually had characters have dream, not vision so much, but I said you have a dream last night, and the dream uh, that way they're not like stuck out in the middle of the dungeon all of a sudden that they have a vision. No, it's usually like if they have a dream, <laughs> and I actually had something um, uh, sort of want to use uh, symbolic in my head, and I gave them a, a sim- like a dream would be symbolic, and um, it didn't actually. It wasn't like an actual vision of the future, but it was symbolic of that. And so uh, something like something terrible was going. Oh, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. OK. I had a campaign where the the separate gods were all going to eventually be giving up their power. And the Gaia force, if for lack of a better word, um, would once again, you know, reign over the planet like it used to before the big catastrophe. Um and so what I had a vision of was this uh, – an image of this one character, this Paladin's um, deity um, slowly being washed away. He was like a sand, ca- a sand structure and an ocean was washing him away. But there wasn't anything unpleasant about the dream and it was – and he felt OK with it um, during the dream. So it was like a symbolic thing. Does, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but – you have those kind of things you have to think about in advance of course it's those are hard to come up with off the cuff but um but yeah and that kind of uh that was intriguing for him because it didn't give it obviously it didn't give it away obviously um and left him thinking about you know why am i having this dream about my deity you know that kind of thing so absolutely yeah Uh, and if i can point out one more question that we never i think was intended for us to answer on twitter but we never did uh lord min max shadowfax who is on twitter i'm your dm uh, asked uh, what what games we're playing, um, and I think we all talked about how we're playing D and D next right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I have plans to go back and do some fourth edition D and D as my next thing. I think. Right, uh, Numenera, Numenera for me. So I mentioned that one. Mike, what are you playing? Um, a lot of Fate Accelerated, Fate Core, Thirteenth Age, uh, and D and D next. And I did play some. Numenera at uh, a local game convention. Um, there you go. God, it's such a great time. There's so many awesome games. In fact, Numenera is like oh, yeah. Numenera is that game that like makes me wish I had an extra three days a week or something yeah. to play one more game in that. Oh That's right, it. exactly. The problem yeah. is it's just it's there's so many great games. That's actually the other thing I might I might try to get to is is do some uh, some fake core and run your um, what's yeah, it called? Aeon Wave, yeah, to run some Aeon Wave in my group. Moving along. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. We are at one hour and ten minutes-ish, so I think we're going to call it done for the night. Everybody say good night. Good night. Bye-bye.